0: So we're going to be studying Philippians. Once again, if you would open your Bibles to Philippians chapter 2. We'll be looking at the remainder of this chapter, verses 19 through 30. Uh, It's been a wonderful study going through Philippians with you over the last eight weeks. This is our eighth week in studying Philippians together. Uh, We encourage you to have God's Word open in your lap. However, that may be through a hard copy, through a digital copy. If you're in need of any sort of copy, we do have some Bibles in the back but we would encourage you to keep that open the entire time. And so as we have studied Philippians, we've seen Paul give some specific instruction. And it's interesting to see how Paul instructs the Philippians in their obedience before the Lord. You know, we know in, in kind of our modern Western way of thinking that there are different learning styles. Some of us are more prone to learn, retain, and absorb knowledge through different means, and so there are different ways of doing that. There is reading. Some of us, seeing it written best, um, are able to absorb knowledge and understand things. Some of us, it's maybe through our own copying and writing of something. Others of us, we we learn by doing. We're kinesthetic learners. We're kind of a hands-on type of person, and others, it's best through listening. But one of the things that we're going to see Paul do, because he's been doing all these things, right? He wrote a letter. This letter would be read out loud. I don't know if there was any sort of dramatic acting out of the letter. I don't don't think so. Uh, But people were reading it. They were hearing it. Uh, But Paul also wants us to understand a lot of what he's been saying in the last two chapters by giving us some visual examples. To address those who maybe best understand through seeing. It's one thing to know some of the things that Paul has been teaching through our reading and through our hearing, such as in Philippians 1, 27, let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Chapter two, verse three, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. Verses, uh, verse five in chapter two, have this mind among yourselves, which is also yours in Christ Jesus. Verse 12 in chapter 2, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And verse 14 of chapter 2, do all things without grumbling or disputing. This has been the written and the spoken instruction. But now what we're going to see as we end chapter 2, that Paul is going to give us two examples of two men who are living this out. That if you haven't understood simply through listening, through reading, that you could look to godly men such as these two men that we're going to read about, Timothy and Epaphroditus, and almost see a living example of what Paul is asking the church to do. And so the title of this message is Examples to Follow, that God graciously not only gives us the example of Christ Jesus, but other godly men and women that we can look to as mentors, as examples of how we too are to live. And so let us read the scripture together. Again, I would ask you to stand in honor of God's word, if you're willing and able. We'll read chapter, or sorry, chapter 2, verses 19 through 30. I'll begin in verse 19. Paul writes, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father he has served with me in the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. I have thought it necessary to send you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need. For he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. This is the word of God this morning. You may be seated. And so as we look at this passage, we're going to be looking at the examples of Timothy and Epaphroditus. That they are examples of Christ-likeness. Not perfect, but good enough for us to look to and to follow and to aspire to. This is why Paul sets them up in the way that he does. And so I want to begin with a look at the example of Timothy and his Christ-likeness, his character. First of all, it's important for us to know who Timothy is. Some of us may be familiar with him, some of us may not be. But Timothy was a son of a Greek man and a Hebrew woman. He met Paul on one of his missionary journeys and was likely converted by Paul on the first one. And ever since his conversion, he spent much time with Paul. That he, in many ways, was Paul's shining disciple, shining um, follower. That Paul took special interest in him and spent much of his time training him up in the faith. But it wasn't just Paul that poured into him. Even though he was converted by Paul on the missionary journey, he did have a mother and a grandmother, we learn in the epistle, First Timothy that taught him the scriptures even from a young age. So parents, be encouraged by that, that even though there may not be uh, evidence of faith in your children quite yet, that foundation that you're doing now is essential for maybe someone to come and build on as well. And as stated, he became a constant companion of Paul for almost 10 years. And so why did Paul want to send Timothy Well, if you recall, Paul is under house arrest. Paul is not free to travel to the Philippians. He is stuck in Rome under arrest. And so Timothy, in many ways, became an emissary, one of the best emissaries for Paul as a messenger because this was uh, Paul's best student. And so he was able to send him, and in many ways he served as a good and accurate and authoritative representative of Paul in his stead. And so he's preparing to send Timothy as that emissary to Philippians. But what I want to spend the most time on is looking at the character qualities of Timothy. How does Paul describe Timothy in this text? And what can we learn from his example? First, Paul acknowledges in verse 20 that he has no one like him. Timothy is unique in his way of responding to Paul's teaching. One of the interesting things is, as I was studying this passage, this term, no one like him, in the original Greek, it's kind of clunky, but it's this idea of an equal soul, that Timothy has been raised up and shown gifting and leadership and qualities that Paul says, I have no one as qualified as he is. He is more than a better substitute for me to have Timothy is to be in good hands. There is no one like him. Timothy was the closest thing in many ways to having Paul himself. And this is interesting, because Paul spent a lot of time with Timothy, and he was able to pour himself into Timothy to the point that Timothy kind of stood above the rest. But there was, this wasn't just a work of Timothy. this was also through the effort and intentionality of Paul himself. Timothy was a disciple. And Paul was a mentor. He was a teacher. And this kind of shows us what the true goal of discipleship is. One pastor, John MacArthur, put it this way, that the goal of true discipleship is reproduction. When a person is fully discipled, Jesus said he will be like his teacher. The relationship between Paul and Timothy is a good example of this, that Paul had literally poured his life into Timothy, that he had reproduced himself in this young man. And this is the model, not just that Paul said, but that Paul was following the model of Jesus. Luke chapter 6, verse 40. Jesus is talking to his disciples. The disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. And so this is important to understand. The goal was not for Paul to reproduce himself and other people in Timothy. The goal was for Paul to look to Christ as his ultimate teacher, to let Christ be reproduced in him and then see Christ formed in others. This is why in other epistles, Paul would give the encouragement, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. We're not followers of other men or other people. We're followers of Jesus. But if we're all pursuing Jesus together, there are some that we can look to as our tangible examples here in our life. That was true of Paul for Timothy, and that is now true of Timothy for these Philippians. This is why there was a value in sending him. There was no one like him. Paul goes on to say in verse 20 and 21 that one of the things that makes Timothy unique is that he is genuinely concerned for your welfare. Genuinely concerned for your welfare. And then verse 21, he contrasts that with Others seek after their own interests and not those of Christ Jesus. That is kind of the opposite example of Timothy, that he has a heart for the church. He is genuinely conserved. He's moved with compassion and care for them. This is not true of all people. This may not have been true of maybe all of Paul's disciples. This is one of the things that set Timothy apart from others, that he had a genuine concern from others. We saw that Paul contrast some bad motives from other leaders in the Philippian church in chapter one. Philippians 1.15, I'll remind you that Paul is talking about how some indeed preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. And so our motives can sometimes be not the purest, that I have aspirations for ministry because it makes me look good, because I receive the praises of men, because it gives me authority, gives me power, that I may appear to be concerned for you but really my concerns are of myself. There's an inward hidden character that we sometimes don't often see. But Paul had spent enough time with Timothy and he had seen that that inward character of Timothy was one of genuine concern for the bride of Christ, his church and its people. This too is modeled first by Jesus. How many times do we read in the gospels that when Jesus looked out at the crowds, he was moved with compassion. This is a Christ-like quality that we see in Timothy. An example in the gospel of Jesus doing this is Matthew chapter nine, verse 36. Jesus says, when he saw, how the, saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. This is the genuine concern of Christ that we see replicated in people like Paul and Timothy. The church is seen as sheep without a shepherd who are in need of loving care and provision. And so this is a qualification that we see in Timothy that ought to be seen in all leaders of the church. All those who would serve as pastors or elders or deacons or leaders should have this type of concern of caring for the flock of God. 1 Peter 5, 1-3, through three, talks about this qualification that it is necessary for all leaders to have. Verse 1 says, "So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and witness of the suffering of Christ as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to" the flock. Examples of this compassion, of this genuine concern. This is the character we ought to look for in our leaders that we see modeled here in Timothy. See, Timothy's motivation, much like the motivation of Christ, was not to be served, but to serve. Let me remind you of Mark ten forty-five. Jesus says, for even as the Son of Man came not to serve, or not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Again, it's wonderful to have those examples in real people that we can see in front of us, but know that the chief example is always Christ himself. And so Timothy, there was no one like him. He had genuine concern for their welfare as a church, and he had a proven track record. Verse 22, Timothy had proven his worth. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father, he has served with me in the gospel. This is also important as we consider leadership in particular. That it's not enough to just show some gifting, some potential, but to also have a history of faithfulness. That all of this has been tested and demonstrated over time. I pointed out that Timothy was a companion of Paul for over 10 years. That Timothy, from day one, probably was not described this way. Maybe there was some nice things to say about Timothy. But this is a work of God in Timothy through Paul over the course of many years. Timothy had built a reputation of faithful service. And this is what we ought to look for as well in our leaders. When Paul would write Timothy closer to his actual death, knowing that it was all the more imminent... He would leave instructions for how to appoint leaders. What sort of proven character should you look for, Timothy, that was seen in you, that was developed in you by God's Spirit and through my mentorship? What then should you look for as you seek to reproduce yourself in the church? 1 Timothy 3, verses 1 through 7. These are the qualifications for elders given to us. his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may be puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace and into a snare of the devil. Point out a couple things. In this passage, as we look at qualifications of leaders, there is nothing in here that is not directly applicable, or should be worked towards by every single believer. We should all seek to be above reproach. We should all seek to be sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable. And so what is it that is unique about those who are qualified to serve as overseers? That they have demonstrated consistent faithfulness in these things. They're not doing something different, but they're doing something with excellence, with faithfulness. And that takes time. We have to prove these things. God has to solidify these things in our lives so that we too, as these, as these overseers, as these deacons, can live as examples for the rest of the church, for the flock, that we too could say what Paul says, be imitators of me only as I imitate Christ. So Timothy had proven his worth. Lastly, We see maybe even more of the the special, unique nature of Paul and Timothy's relationship that Paul says Timothy is like a son in the faith. But you know Timothy's proven words, verse 22, how as a son with a father, he has served with me in the gospel. This speaks not only of their discipleship relationship once again, but the intimacy in which that relationship consists of that it wasn't just teacher and student, it was father and son. Fathers are to instruct their sons or their children, but they're also to love them, to be in close relationship with them. And this is a good model of discipleship relationship, Paul and Timothy, that we ought to replicate here as we seek to make disciples as well. See another glimpse of this intimate discipleship relationship as Paul speaks in 1 Corinthians four seventeen. Talks again how he sent Timothy. That is why I sent uh, you, Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach them everywhere in every church. For the same, like father, like son. And so Timothy is being sent by Paul. Because like father, like son. Like teacher, like like student. And so what can we learn from this? Well, first, I think of this idea that it's, it's not enough to be good on your own. I learned this in kind of the public retail world as I, as I worked my way through college. I was in retail management at a, at a paint store, not too dissimilar from Sherman Williams. And I was in kind of a Mid level management, but working towards a promotion to be the official assistant manager of this store. And I felt that I was a good candidate for this promotion. I was knowledgeable about all our products, I was responsible, I was a hard worker, I met all of the qualifications. And I remember going into this interview with our district manager for this promotion in our store and him saying, Yes, you check all these boxes, you've met all these qualifications but I have one more question for you. I said, sure, what is it? Who's going to take your job when we promote you? I said, what do you mean? He's like, well, you look like you'd be a great assistant manager, but I have no one to do your job if we move you over there. So who have you mentored? Who have you taught to do your job so that you could get this promotion? And it dawned on me, oh, it wasn't good enough in this, public retail business setting to be good enough on my own, I had to be a mentor. I had to reproduce my skills in someone else so that I could advance. The same is true in our walk with God. Too often we focus only on our own personal obedience before the Lord. But the question is, are you reproducing? Are you making disciples? Are you teaching people to be faithful to the Lord like you have learned to be faithful to the Lord? If you're not doing that, you, you haven't done the whole job yet. We're all to go and make disciples, not just to be disciples, but we're to go and make disciples. You're to reproduce yourself in others. Paul and Timothy are a great example of this, and an example in which I hope all of us will seek to follow. So a few more questions for you. Who do you have as a mentor in the faith? Who do you have as someone you can look to and say, this is a parent in the faith to me, someone who has taught me, who has concern for me, that is seeking to reproduce themselves in me, that is pointing me to Christ. Do you have one? I hope you do. And if not, I hope we can help you find one right? I'll tell you one thing, you're not going to find this type of relationship outside of the church. You're not going to bump into somebody on a coffee shop who's going to have the same character qualities of Timothy, who is genuinely concerned for your faith, who has a proven track record of faithfulness, who is following Christ, who's going to mentor you. Those are the relationships that are formed as we gather together as God's people. So if you lack a mentor, if you lack a spiritual father or a spiritual mother in the faith, then all the more be plugged into God's church, his community. I hope that's here at Harvest. I hope that we can mentor one another and point one another towards Christ. But nevertheless, God's church is bigger than this one gathering. But we're all meant to gather together. But this is our intention that we would build these types of relationships in the church. And I pray often for the ministries that are starting even today, our men's ministry and our women's ministry, that we'll see these types of relationships being built, that we'll be genuinely concerned for one another, that we'll point one another towards Christ, that we will together have a proven track record of faithfulness in serving and loving him. And this is not our ingenious design. This actually comes from scripture. That those who are older, particularly older in the faith, are to instruct those who are newer in the faith. We're to reproduce ourselves in one another. Timothy later, he's going to be a young man who becomes a spiritual father of people who may be older than him in earthly years. But because of his walk with the Lord, his 10 years of experience, he's going to be reproducing himself and becoming a father to others. And so we see this represented in scripture, Titus 2, uh, verses two through six, Older men be sober-minded, dignified, self-control, sound in the faith, and love in steadfastness. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good. And so train the young women to love their husbands and children, be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. This is an encouragement to older men and women in the church to continue in your faithfulness, continue in your Christ-likeness, serve as examples for those who are following Christ that they can look to you, but also intentionally pour in to the younger women, pour in to the younger men. Reproduce yourself in the faith. And so do you have that mentor? Do not have that mentor? Take measures to find one. Secondly, Are you willing to be that mentor to another person? You know, the interesting thing is in these relationship dynamics within the church, it's not always a clear, you're the teacher, you're the student. Oftentimes we teach and encourage one another, but there needs to be this willingness to put yourself out there, to step out in faith and courage and be that person who mentors, who teaches, who encourages. You can do this and formally on your own. Maybe the Lord has put someone on your heart that you want to meet with regularly to encourage them in their faith. Through coffee, through lunch, through phone calls, through text message, whatever it may be. Be that person. You will need to have your own Timothy. You could maybe serve like Paul, but ultimately we want to do what Christ has called us to do. Just as Paul hopes to send Timothy to do these things, for me as As a pastor of this church, I hope to send some of you to do some of these things, to pour your life into other people and see them grow and be sent out, that we're not just working in an addition sort of way, but we're beginning to see the multiplied effect of God's work through us as his people. So we have an example in Timothy of Christ-like character. Let's now turn to the example of Epaphroditus a little more briefly. Who is Epaphroditus? We know a little bit less about him. He's really only mentioned here in this epith- epistle. He is a lay person in the Philippian church, so native to the Philippian church, who traveled to bring a financial gift to Paul. Just so remember, Paul is in house arrest, not able to work and, and, and serve on his own capacity, and so there's the physical support of the Philippians being sent to him by this servant, by this layperson, Epaphroditus. So he was trustworthy because it was likely a large sum of money. He traveled to Paul in Rome. And then the other thing that we know about him is he became severely ill to the point of near death. And so why is it that Epaphroditus um, is being sent back to the Philippians? What were the character qualities that Paul is highlighting in this man, well, one thing we see that Epaphroditus may be shared with Timothy in that genuine concern for the church because he was from that place, and we read that he was longing to return to them. Verse twenty-five: I have thought it necessary to send you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker, fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need, for he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because um, because you heard that he was ill. And so Epaphroditus was someone who was longing to return for the Philippi- to the Philippian church. And you may wonder, well, why is this? Was he just homesick? Was he tired of spending time with Paul? Was he just ready to go home and sleep in his own bed type of mentality? No, I don't think that's what this was. This term distressed is only used one other time in the New Testament, and it's the same word used of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane when Jesus was distressed about what was going to happen on the cross and the work that he was about to do. And so he was deeply concerned, deeply stressed, and I think this came out of a deep love and a sense of an obligation to the Philippian church. He felt distressed to be away from them. Perhaps he was concerned um, that the church was still concerned about his health, that they had had news that, He was near death. Maybe they thought he had officially died, and so he wanted to send news back so that they would be encouraged. I almost think of an analogy with regards to to family. Some of us have traveled for work or business. Maybe sometimes those travels have taken us away from home for quite some time. We may be doing something very important, either for your work or for me. Maybe it's some sort of ministry event that I'm doing something to build God's kingdom, to serve the church, to disciple people, to teach them God's word. But if you're gone long enough, you feel a growing and greater obligation to those at home that you're responsible for than those that you've traveled to see. And I think Epaphroditus was starting to feel that. That while he had a burden for the church globally, Or more broadly, for Paul and the Romans and all the people here, he had a greater concern for his home church, his home community, those whom he was pouring into himself and being poured into by. And that is a good thing. It's good for me to long to be back with my family over my obligation for them, more so than doing something else with another group of people. Similarly, if you're traveling for work, and say news of a terrible accident happens near your region— or maybe you go through something difficult and you haven't had a chance to send word back to let everybody know that you're okay. You'll feel a growing obligation. I need to go back. My wife is worried. She may think I'm hurt. She may think I'm dead. I need to go show myself to her so she knows everything's okay. I, I'm not going to be at peace until I do that. And so I don't see Epaphroditus, his need to go back as a sign of immaturity but of his maturity, that he loved his church and the community at Philippi. So what else? What were his character qualities? Well, Paul describes him as a brother, a fellow worker, and a soldier, a messenger, and a minister. These are high titles and high praise for what appears to be kind of an unknown person to us. To call Epaphroditus, a brother, was not just to speak of the familial relationship that we have in Christ, although I do think that's part of it, that if you are in Christ, you are my brother, you are my sister, because we've been adopted by God. But Paul seems to speak this term with great affection. That is not just the title of brother in Christ, but it's almost like, no, even though we're not physically related, you are like a brother to me. Some of us have experienced relationships like that. So much so that when it looked like he was going to perish, Paul points out that God had mercy on him, but also on Paul, that he would not have sorrow upon sorrow. There was a deep affection between Paul and Epaphroditus. He was also a fellow worker. Paul includes him with this term in the ranks of some other great men that would travel and be used by Paul in his ministry. People like Timothy, like Barabbas, like Priscilla and Aquila and Apollos and many others that he kind of makes that speech of when someone's receiving an award, you know, on a television show, I want to thank so-and-so and and -and so-and-so, that Epaphroditus is included among that group, which is no small praise knowing who Paul is himself. So he was a fellow worker and he was a soldier. To be a gospel worker is to be engaged in warfare. It's possible that his illness may be a consequence of that. There was some sort of affliction or maybe even spiritual warfare going on, and he, as a faithful soldier, was willing to put his life on the line for the cause of Christ. He was a messenger and a minister, not just to the Philippians, but it says to Paul, that he was sent by that church as a messenger and a minister to Paul, that he was to bring pastoral relief to Paul himself as he was imprisoned. Yes, he was bringing the financial gift, which I'm sure was greatly appreciated. But Paul speaks even more highly of his presence. He says that he nearly died for Christ, risking his own life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. The greatest gift that Epaphroditus probably brought to Paul was his presence. His ability to be there with him, to pray with him, encourage him, to be with him. He ministered to him. Someone even so great as Paul, who was probably so used to ministering to other people, but Epaphroditus was now that messenger and minister to him. Paul also emphasizes that he nearly died for the work of Christ. He makes mention of it three times in this section, and does so as a means to praise Epaphroditus's faithfulness. To the Lord. It's meant to reflect his humble nature. That Epaphroditus was obedient to the point of nearly dying for the sake of the gospel. I want you to hear echoes a little bit of what we read earlier in chapter 2 about the obedience of Christ. That Christ was obedient even unto death, death on a cross. And here is Epaphroditus modeling that himself nearly dying for the work of Christ. Philippians 2.8, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. We're seeing Christ-like character and obedience in the life of this relatively unknown man, Epaphroditus, who was willing to follow in his Savior's footsteps in this regard. Epaphroditus was willing to sacrifice everything for Christ and his church, knowing that it would all be worth it. Not only is he following in the footsteps of Christ, but remember Paul is the one who spoke in chapter 1, verse 21, for to me, to live is Christ. I mean, everything that I'm going to do is going to be for him, and to die is my gain. And here we see that again represented in Epaphroditus. They are both models to this. And so as we look at Epaphroditus, we're really being pointed towards Jesus once again. And so, can the same be said of you? People were to look at you, would they be pointed to Jesus because of how you're living? How would people describe you? Paul describes Epaphroditus as a brother, a worker, a soldier, a messenger, a minister. Could those descriptions be used to describe you? Could you be described as a brother or sister? Not just being adopted into the family of God, but that you would lovingly care and be involved in relationships with another person, that they would genuinely call you a brother or sister because of your concern for them in the Lord. This ought to be our attitude. This was Jesus' instructions once again. Jesus modeled that the closest relationships that we're to have as Christians are to be with other Christians sometimes even over and against those who are our brothers and sisters by blood. may be shocking to hear, but it's demonstrated by Jesus in Matthew chapter 12, verses 46 through 50. Jesus' brothers and sisters are trying to get a hold of him. Verse 46, while he was still speaking to the people, behold, his mother and his brothers stood outside asking to speak with him. But he replied to the man who told him, who is my mother and who? Are my brothers. And stretching out his hands toward his disciples, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. Some of you are still probably trying to get over the fact that Jesus had brothers. But yes, Mary and Joseph did go on to have other children. Jesus had half brothers, half siblings. But he's saying, more than that blood relation, are my brothers and sisters in Christ. Let us build those close relationships, not to the exclusion, because the goal should be to always have our brothers and sisters in the flesh be our brothers and sisters in Christ. We ought to minister to them first. But don't discount the importance of that closeness in relationship. Can someone call you a brother or a sister? Could you be described as a worker? Are you working and serving the church and the Lord, or are you just an observer? You know, God says that each of us is given a manifestation of the spirit for the common good. We've all been given unique gifts, unique skills, unique ministries that God has prepared for you beforehand to serve and build up his church. That's 1 Corinthians 12, 7. But are you walking in them? Are you working for the advancement of the gospel? Are you a soldier are you fighting for the advancement of the gospel by any means possible? Are you going out and telling people? Are you praying? Are you involved in serving and supporting the ministries of God's church? Paul writes in Ephesians 6, reminding us that we ought to have this attitude of warfare because we fight against not flesh and blood but against the spiritual forces Ephesians Ephesians 6:12 through 13 for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood but against the rulers and against the authorities and against the cosmic powers over this present darkness against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places therefore take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm or to be soldiers fighting for God's kingdom, knowing that, yes, the battle is assuredly won in Christ, but nevertheless, we are deployed. Are you a messenger or a minister? Are you faithful in sharing the goodness of the gospel with others? We may not all be called to preach like Paul. Paphroditus doesn't seem to have been. But nevertheless, he was a messenger and a minister. He took these gospel truths and encouraged a preacher with it an apostle with it. He ministered to him, giving a hope or giving an answer for the hope that, that they shared together and encouraged him with his presence. First Peter, again, reminds us of this, 3.15. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. We are all messengers and ministers of the gospel. Are you practicing that ministry of presence? We saw that Paul was greatly encouraged just by having Epaphroditus with him. That he filled up what was lacking in the physical support that was given by the Philippian church through his physical presence and his ability to meet some of those greater spiritual needs that Paul may have had. Are you able and willing to do that? Are you making yourself available to do that? The only way to do that is to gather with God's people regularly. That is far more important than you and I realize. It's more important than a few extra hours of sleep. It's more important than a nice family breakfast. It's more important than a cozy vacation. That we are to gather together as God's people regularly. So as to encourage one another in the faith. Hebrews 10, 24 through 25. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Lastly, are you willing to sacrifice your life for Christ? This was emphasized three times in Epaphroditus. This is modeled in Christ himself. Paul refers to himself as a drink offering being poured out for the service of Christ and his church. Many of us may not be in physical danger for our lives in Christ right now, but are we willing to suffer the little deaths that Christ is calling us to suffer? By counting others more important than ourselves, dying to self, and living for Christ What sacrifices are you making now for Christ? We sometimes like to think that if I was in a situation, that I would give my life for Christ if need be. And I hope that's true of all of us in this room. But it is far more likely to be true if you're willing to make the smaller sacrifices now. Are we willing to sacrifice for Christ? And so as we conclude in looking at the example of these two men and their Christ-likeness, first and foremost, know that you're to see these men and be pointed to Christ. That people should be able to look to you, your life, your character, your mannerisms, and glorify their Father in heaven. It's not about making much of ourselves, but making much of God. And it's interesting, the, the placement of this In most of Paul's epistle, he tends to speak and greet of intentions to send different people different places at the end of his letters. But yet in Philippians, I think very intentionally, Paul places Timothy and Epaphroditus and their travel plans uniquely in the middle of this letter to serve as examples of what he's been teaching in chapter 1 and chapter 2 in particular. And I'll end with his encouragement in verse 29. He's speaking of Epaphroditus, but I think it's true of Timothy. He says, "Receive him in the Lord with all joy, and honor such men." Not because we want to lift them up, but there is an importance of encouragement. Thank you for your example of Christlikeness. It has been a blessing to me. Let me give honor to you as I give honor to God that we are to look for these characteristics, these type of people in our gatherings. Give them honor and encouragement as we seek to follow their example as we all follow Christ together. Let me close in prayer asking God to build these qualities and characteristics in each of us. Would you join me for prayer? Heavenly Father, we thank you that you give us not only the example of Christ but faithful examples of other men and women in the faith, both recorded in scripture, but Lord, also in our own lives. I am thankful for the fathers that I have in the faith. Lord, I know many in this room are thankful for those who have poured themselves into us, reproduced themselves in us. Lord, that your character may be all the more evident. God, continue to do this work. Would you put it upon our hearts to not only obediently follow you, but to help others obediently follow you as well. Lord, would you raise up mothers and fathers and leaders here in this body at Harvest Liberty Lake Church that we may honor such people as we seek to honor you. We pray this all in the name of Jesus. Amen.